This hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. First, I want to thank Senator Booker and his staff for working uh, on the, to schedule this hearing and uh, accommodating the dual panel format that we have going today. The committee will consider a total of eight ambassador nominations today. All career diplomats uh, who have dedicated their professional lives to serve in the United States. Um, really appreciate you having you all being here and all career diplomats. It does uh, make it make it easier for us. Uh, we we've seen many of you before. It's been wonderful to uh, meet many of you and get reacquainted with others. Uh, I'm now going through kind of my second round of of people in uh, African countries being nominated. So we appreciate the sacrifices that you're all making. And, and your families in particular. I'm grateful that so many are here. Um, the first panel will include Mr. Craig Cloud, and a nominee for ambassador to the Republic of Botswana. Uh, Michael uh, Pelletier, nominee ambassador to Madagascar and the Union of Comoros. Uh, Robert Scott, nominee for ambassador to the Republic of Malawi. Uh, the Honorable Lucy Tamlin, uh, current ambassador to the Republic of Benin. A nominee for ambassador to the Central African Republic, also served in Chad next door. Uh, the uh, second panel will be Mr. Eric uh, Stortemeyer, um, nominee for ambassador to Togolese Republic. Simon Henshaw, nominee for ambassador to the Republic of Guinea. Uh, the Honorable Dennis Haskins, current ambassador to the Republic of Guinea, nominee for the ambassador to the Republic of Mali. And finally, uh, Dennis Hearn, ambassador for, uh, uh, nominee for ambassador to uh, Mozambique. Uh, we're eager to hear all of the nominees and, uh, and to hear in particular about how the United States can continue to play a, a positive role in Africa where possible and to help these countries continue on a sustainable path to growth and democracy and development. Uh, considering the tremendous amount of experience the nominees have on both panels, I'm encouraged by their nominations. I'm uh, looking forward to hearing from you. Um, as I mentioned, I've... Uh, uh, seen many of you before and uh, traveling uh, throughout Africa. I know that I've traveled Africa with both of uh, the, the members here and uh, couldn't be more proud of uh, the representation we have in so many countries uh, there and uh, the difficulty in some areas uh, with so many uh, threats and, uh, and uh, so much on your plate. So we appreciate you being here. We'll turn it now to Senator Booker for any opening comments. Uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you to, uh, to the chairman uh, you have been a friend and a real great uh, guiding light for me as I've uh, been new on this committee and focused on African issues and have, it's been a privilege to be your ranking member. Um, I just want to say that it's an honor to, to sit here before uh, the Foreign Service officers uh, that are before me. Uh, we just don't thank you all enough. Uh, I'm still a freshman and not finished yet a full six years in the Senate, but I have now traveled all across this globe and been in awe of the men and women that are out there in the field, uh, really uh, rising above partisanship and focused on purpose, uh, doing God's work, uh, helping to create stability, to create hope, to create opportunity abroad, as well as doing uh, the service for our country and in our country's name. Uh, I too wanna to join uh, Senator Flake in thanking your families. Uh, I know it's not easy. I know the sacrifices that you make are not yours alone, but they're shared uh, by your family members. Uh, and I'm just grateful for that. Uh, I'm reminded of the sacrifice that diplomats make uh, with the recent news uh, in Madagascar this week. Uh, my heart goes out to their families, my prayers as well, uh, to them and the whole country team uh, that are dealing with the challenges and the heartache. As Foreign Service officers, you have served in many centers of the world. 
uh, you all collectively, Iraq, Afghanistan, Sudan, Jordan, and many other places, uh, working to promote U.S. priorities, critical relationships, and really do hu critical humanitarian work. You also have developed incredible specialties when you read your uh, resumes. You all are experts in negotiations, expert managers, uh, and I know that uh, you will, these experiences will be invaluable to the posts that you will hopefully be deployed to uh, very soon. You all are going to countries that are important to many of our strategic priorities in Africa. Uh, most are very, very tough postings uh, to countries like the Central African Republic and Mali that are in the midst of extraordinary civil strife and violent conflict, where sustained U.S. engagement is actually vital. I've seen it with my own eyes uh, to end these kind of crises, hold parties accountable, and give a pathway for other human beings uh, to have those aspects of a quality of life that we take for granted in our country. In other countries such as Guinea, Togo, Madagascar, critical elections are on the horizon and democratic institutions need attention and support uh, from the international community, from the United States of America. HIV and AIDS continue to devastate communities in Botswana, Malawi, and Mozambique, and Ebola remains a threat in Guinea and across much of the continent. But despite these challenges, as I've traveled in the region with Senator Flake, I have been struck again by the resilience and generosity and courage, not just of Americans in those areas, but of the incredible human beings, incredible people uh, that I've met and been inspired by. If confirmed, uh, it will be up to each of you to lend the hand of the United States to encourage your counterparts in these countries uh, to overcome divisions, to build accountable institutions, to harness new economic opportunities, to achieve not just human rights, but a higher quality of life, and to find peaceful ways to resolve longstanding conflict. It's not an easy job, but it's absolutely a critical and essential one, not just for our nation, but for humanity as a whole. And actually, before the hearing even starts, I know each of you are up for it. We ask that if confirmed, you remain in communications with us. I think that's the one real bipartisan sentiment I often hear in confirmation hearings, is we are your allies, we want you to be successful, and we want to be supportive. Let us know the challenges you face, what's working well and what's not, and most importantly, how we can be of service to you. I look forward to your testimonies. As I said to many of you informally beforehand, I'll say now for the record, there is a little bit going on in Washington today. Uh, and uh, you'll forgive a lot of my colleagues who are dedicated senators on both sides of the aisle, but many of us are being drawn in different directions. Uh, Senator Flake and I happen, happen to both be um, uh, uh, also on the Judiciary Committee, and I know uh, that there are pressing matters before us. So please don't count this in any way as a lack of interest and support. Uh, I have a feeling there'll be lots of questions for the record, which I know you will diligently attend to. Um, but please understand that though there are only two of us sitting here, uh, this is a committee as a whole uh, that supports you, believes in you, and should you be confirmed, we'll do everything they can to help you be successful. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Booker. Thank you all for being here. We, uh, as he mentioned, we uh, have really been impressed as we've traveled throughout Africa with uh, the representation we have, and uh, some of you have been in posts that we've been to and uh, are going to post it. We will visit as well. Our first nominee, Mr. Cloud, uh, previously served as man management counselor the U.S. Em uh, Embassy in Kabul, uh, Deputy Chief of Mission in uh, Swaziland, 
Um, thank you, and you'll proceed just after I say something about the others as well, and then all four of you can go one after the and, other. And Chairman, if I may, could you please introduce your family members, especially if there are any from Arizona or New Jersey? <laughs> um, and if any intend to run against either Jeff or myself. <laughs> it's helpful to know, yeah. it really is. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and you'll be headed to uh, Botswana. I was just there last month, spent a good deal of time there, and. Uh, um, it's a great post, and you'll you'll enjoy it. Uh, second nominee, Mr. Pelletier, uh, served as dean of the School of Professional and Area Studies, the Foreign Service Institute, uh, held positions uh, in New Delhi, uh, as well as uh, Assistant Secretary, Deputy Assistant Secretary, Bureau of African Affairs. Um, Mr. Scott, also uh, most recently acting Deputy Secretary of the Bureau of African Affairs, a position he served in since 2016. He was also Deputy Chief of Mission in Zimbabwe. That's where we got to know each other uh, during the previous CODEL. Um, last nominee on the panel, uh, Lucy Tamlin, uh, been uh, through this confirmation process uh, for her current post in Benin. Um, she's served as Deputy Chief of Mission in Portugal and in Chad. And she has been in the region and knows it and uh, will bring a lot of expertise there. But uh, please proceed. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, uh, Ranking Member Booker. It's a great honor to appear before you today as President Trump's nominee to serve as the next ambassador to the Republic of Botswana. I appreciate the confidence that the President and Secretary Pompeo have placed in me by putting my name forward. I am also deeply grateful to my parents, Louis and Marietta Cloud, who couldn't be here today, and my wife, Angie, who is here and not running for Senate, um, and my daughter, Wallace Ann, um, and also my son, John Beck, uh, without the support of each and every one of them, I would not be here before you today. During my 26 years in the Foreign Service, I have served in senior leadership positions and also challenging posts, most recently coming from Kabul, Afghanistan. My Africa experience includes 15 years serving in West, Central, and Southern Africa, including as Deputy Chief of Mission in what is now the Kingdom of Eswatini, working on democracy, health, and security issues. Botswana is one of the United States' most reliable partners on the continent. Our work in Botswana strengthens democratic institutions, protects health and human rights, conserves the environment and natural resources, and counters transnational organized crime. Economic ties between the United States and Botswana are growing. Our exports to Botswana in 2017 were up 120 cent from the prior year. The United States is one of the world's top purchasers of Botswana's diamonds, and U.S. tourists attracted to the country's beautiful national parks and reserves are the biggest per capita spenders in Botswana. If confirmed, I will encourage Botswana's efforts to diversify its economy and improve our opportunities for American businesses. The United States has invested more than $900 million in Botswana's health sector through the PEPFAR program. Despite impressive progress, there are still an estimated 14,000 new infections annually. If confirmed, I look forward to protecting our PEPFAR investment and leading our interagency health team as we work with the government of Botswana on its HIV response. The Botswana Defense Force is one of our most professional militaries on the continent, and our military engagement remains strong. The U.S. also sponsors the International Law Enforcement Academy, which has trained more than 10,000 law enforcement professionals from 36, 36 African partner nations. Support to both of these institutions has improved the rule of law in the country as well as on the continent. 
including our capacity to protect the largest populations of elephants on Earth from increasingly sophisticated poaching and ivory trafficking networks. If confirmed, I will work to expand the US, Botswana, and military connections and our regional security cooperation through education and training programs. The US ambassador to Botswana also serves as a US representative to the Southern African development community, and I'm excited for the opportunity to work towards increased security, health, and prosperity across the region with other Southern African nations. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Mr. Cloud. Mr. Pelletier. Microphone. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Senator Booker, I'm honored to appear before you today as the nominee for Ambassador to the Republic of Madagascar and the Union of the Comoros. If confirmed, I look forward to strengthening our relationships with the governments and the peoples of Madagascar and Comoros. Mr. Chairman, allow me at this time, please, to introduce to you and the rest of the committee my wife, Sujata, and our sons, Aniketan and Ethan, who are here with me. I have been so blessed over the years to have their company and their support as we have traveled around the world representing the United States of America. And I'm so pleased that they're as excited as I am about this opportunity. I believe that my educational and professional experiences have prepared me well for this moment. My studies focused on the political and social development of Africa and led me to the Foreign Service and to my first tour overseas in Senegal. Since then, I've been privileged to work across Africa, the Arab world, and several times in India. Having served around the Indian Ocean throughout my career, it is truly an honor now to be considered as the nominee to serve as ambassador to these great island countries, Madagascar, with its rich, proud, and unique history and cultural and linguistic unity, and the Comoros, with its many ties to all of the regions bordering the Indian Ocean. These are critical times for both Madagascar and Comoros. Madagascar is preparing for elections in November, on schedule five years after the 2013 elections that reestablished democracy there. Comorians recently approved a number of constitutional changes in a referendum and are now working through the results of that referendum. The US, of course, fully supports the strengthening and reinforcing of democratic systems and the respect for democratic rights in both countries as we do around the world. A successful free, fair, and transparent election this year in Madagascar would signal the further strengthening of its democracy and give us an outstanding opportunity to redouble our efforts there to support political stability and to engage with the democratically elected government to encourage resilient and sustainable development for all of Madagascar's people and to protect its unique resources. Madagascar's task is made even more difficult by the ongoing drought in the Southwest and the seasonal outbreaks of the plague. Our development assistance and our partnerships with Madagascar, including a vibrant Peace Corps program, and our work with other international partners can help Madagascar successfully address these challenges, including providing for the education and health needs of its people, combating illegal harvesting and export of Madagascar's unique and rich flora and fauna, fighting corruption, encouraging a positive business climate and transparency conducive to trade and investment. If confirmed, I would also serve as ambassador to the Union of Comoros. Our goal is to continue to develop our positive and constructive relations with Comoros, and I look forward to supporting our local staff there and the staff in our embassy in Antananarivo who are dedicated to our relations as well as to our fo well-focused Peace Corps program in Comoros. 
Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Booker, I'm truly honored and grateful to appear before you today. I look forward, if confirmed, to the opportunity to serve as ambassador to Madagascar and the Union of Comoros and to strengthen and advance our partnerships. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Pelletier. Mr. Scott. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Booker, I'm honored to appear before you today as President Trump's nominee to be the next ambassador to the Republic of Malawi. I appreciate the confidence he and Secretary Pompeo have shown to me through this nomination. If confirmed, I look forward to working with you and other members of Congress and staff to advance American interests in Malawi. My wife, Anne, and our twins, Jennifer and Nicholas, are here with me today. Nicholas and Jennifer grew up in Tanzania and Zimbabwe, where I served as Deputy Chief of Mission before my most recent position as Acting Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs. If I'm confirmed, we would welcome the opportunity to return to serve our country in that region. Malawi is a strong partner for the United States. Our goals in the country are to strengthen core institutions, helping make Malawi a more prosperous, healthier, and more democratic partner for the United States, and creating new jobs and investment opportunities for American companies. MCC is winding down its energy-focused compact, and I will urge the government of Malawi to implement the reforms needed to take full advantage of its improved power infrastructure. I will also encourage the government's crucial anti-corruption efforts. Malawi has been a leader in adopting policies to control and combat HIV-AIDS. PEPFAR has helped sharply reduce the number of HIV-AIDS deaths and infections. These advances are fragile, however, and if confirmed, I will work with our team to sustain and maximize the impact of all of our health programs in the country. Agriculture is also a key to successful development. It generates nearly 80% of household income in Malawi and needs to be a focus of our efforts. Peace Corps is another successful program active in Malawi. My wife, Anne, is a former Peace Corps volunteer, and I fully appreciate the positive impact of this important program. Our security cooperation with Malawi is excellent. Malawi actively contributes to UN peace support operations on the continent. I would build on this strong relationship. If confirmed, I anticipate witnessing Malawi's sixth consecutive peaceful national democratic election in May of 2019, a process supported by our governance programs. Mr. Chairman, I will vigorously pursue the safety and security of American citizens and ensure responsible stewardship of taxpayer dollars through effective leadership of U.S. Mission Malawi's strong interagency team, if confirmed. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Senator Booker, for the opportunity to appear before you today. I'd be honored to respond to any questions. Thank you, Mr. Scott. Ambassador Tamlin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Booker. It is a great honor for me to appear before you. I'm grateful to President Trump and Secretary Pompeo for the confidence they have placed in me as their nominee for ambassador to the Central African Republic. I'm very happy that my husband, George Serpa, is here today. George is a tireless advocate for foreign service families. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Booker, I have served as a foreign officer since 1982, culminating with the privilege of serving as the U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Benin. Assignments across three continents and in war zones have given me experience in balancing the imperatives of the diplomatic mission with the sacred mission of protecting lives. United States interests in the Central African Republic are primarily security and humanitarian. The Central African Republic is a mineral-rich country, but largely ungoverned and dominated by armed groups. More than half of the country needs humanitarian assistance, of which the United States is the largest donor. Our primary U.S. objective is to help the elected government of President Tuadera expand state authority. 
we support the African Union-led peace process, efforts to bring justice to victims of atrocities, and re-establishment of civilian security and justice capabilities. The United States is also the largest contributor to one of the most challenging UN peacekeeping missions in the world. I would like to pay tribute to the 75 MINUSCA peacekeepers who have lost their lives carrying out their mandate. If confirmed, I will seek to continue the leadership role which my predecessors so ably performed to keep the AU-led peace process on track. Progress requires coordination with other international actors, but must be consistent with UN Security Council resolutions. The safety of those under my authority will be my paramount concern, along with ensuring the best use of the resources entrusted to us by the U.S. taxpayer. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, I recognize that, if confirmed, I will be assuming leadership of a post in a country of extreme fragility, one where our diplomatic presence has been suspended three times in the past 20 years. The Central African Republic has looked into the abyss and seen, in the words of Henry Kissinger, that, quote, if order cannot be achieved by consensus or imposed by force, it will be wrought at disastrous and dehumanizing cost from the experience of chaos, end quote. I hope that you agree with me that it is important to maintain a focus on the longer term, recognizing that there will be advances and setbacks, and that the United States has an important role to play here. If confirmed, I very much look forward to your advice and counsel on this challenging task, and I'm very happy to take your questions. Thank you. Thank you all for your testimony, and thank you to the families as well. You must be very proud. Um, Mr. Cloud, uh, with regard to to Botswana, recently there was an uptick uh, a survey of uh, elephants. Uh, animal count revealed that there had been uh, much of a slaughter lately. And uh, there's concern that uh, some of the problems that have been mostly confined in terms of large-scale poaching to East Africa may move south. And uh, Botswana has been, uh, obviously, as you mentioned, the largest concentration of elephants on the continent by far. Um, what can we do specifically and what programs are we undertaking right now uh, to, to help them deal with this issue? Thank you, Senator. I have uh, consulted with the departments in the, in the State Department and the, or the sections in the State Department and USAID who deal with conservation and biodiversity as well as the Department of Interior's uh, Fish and Wildlife Service about the programs that are going on. Um, First, there are quite significant deviations in the stories if you look at the Elephants Without Borders versus the Government of Botswana um, story. It's 87 elephants versus 53. And we have actually sent our fish and wildlife uh, attache as well as our regional environmental uh, attache up to the area to confirm the stories. And uh, I think continuing our programs to develop uh, professional law enforcement, uh, law enforcement professionals who deal in, in cross-border trade, in combating wildlife trafficking, and in uh, countering poaching are some of the, the best ways that we continue to do that through the International Law Enforcement Academy, as well as through SADC, uh, because the, the, wild, the economic benefits of, of the diverse wildlife and ecosystem in Southern Africa benefits all the, all the SADC region countries, and I think that, that it would benefit everybody to, to combat, to work to fight uh, this kind of wildlife poaching, um, regardless of where they're from. 
Well, great. Well, we do have a good partnership with the government there. We've worked with them on uh, this issue and yes, sir. a number of other issues. PEPFAR, uh, President Massisi is committed to to move ahead and work with our with uh, you know in a partnership with us on many of these issues. So. Uh, you're working into a good situation there. Ambassador Miller did a great job uh, in the previous post, and so uh, look forward to your representation there if you're confirmed, Mr. You, <laughs> Mr. Pelletier. Um, with regard to Madagascar, we hear often you mention the issues on public health, uh, reoccurrence of the plague every once in a while, and uh, and then on uh, um, resources as well, um, trying to to make sure that the the flora and fauna and the diversity that they have there and nowhere else is preserved. Um, what uh, programs do we have that you can continue to work with on in the public health sphere as well as conservation? Thank you very much, sir. It's, uh, you're absolutely right to, to point out the numerous development challenges that exist in Madagascar. Um, and I think uh, we have uh, a good program working particularly through USAID that's focused on health, uh, health issues such as the plague and other disaster sort of emergency issues, but also the longer term issues, water, um, sanitation issues, et cetera. That's probably the biggest part of the AID program. We also have a very active sustainable agriculture development program through USAID to try to support the people of, of Madagascar as, uh, to meet their own development needs. Um, I know that there are other parts of the US government that are focused on other details of the economic uh, situation and economic growth for Madagascar, including Treasury and, and others. Um, and then we have, as I mentioned earlier, a really um, vibrant Peace Corps program that's been in Madagascar for a long time uh, with over 145 volunteers there, um, separate from our other program in Comoro. So I think we have a wide-ranging program. The other challenge really, I think, is to try to coordinate with all of the other donors in Madagascar, including international bodies, to try to make sure that we have the maximum impact possible. Just Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Scott, uh, with regard to Malawi, um, you mentioned the energy sector that's been a focus of ours for a while. Uh, how have things improved there in that sector and how do we continue those gains? Uh, thank you, Senator Flake. Uh, the MCC Compact, a five-year uh, program, $350 million, is winding up uh, this month, but it has certainly put in a lot of capacity uh, based on the hydropower that's dominant there. Um, I also just recently had um, a chance to speak with some, some colleagues from OPIC and they're looking at about 100 uh, megawatts of solar power, which would also be brought onto the grid. So what we're seeing is a very positive trend line uh, to try to bring more power uh, provided to the population. Only 10% currently have access to, to energy, to electricity. So my sense is that uh, our specific efforts have been very productive, uh, that between MCC and OPIC, we have had a large impact in that sector. And if confirmed, I would certainly seek to ensure that the government takes full advantage of, of, of that program makes the reforms necessary to take full advantage of those. Thank you. Ms. Tamlin, you mentioned in my office earlier today that the government's uh, uh, authority only extends to about 15% of the country in the Central African Republic. How, how, what are we doing to expand that uh, with the help of international partners? Thank you, Senator. Our primary tool is MINUSCA, the UN peacekeeping mission, which has approximately 14,000 people on the ground. Through MINUSCA, we've been able to secure humanitarian corridors and also start to push back the armed groups a little bit. But it needs to be a double-edged process with not only MINUSCA holding the, the ground in those key corridors, but also through our work with the government to stand up a national army 
and also to stand up a credible police and gendarme system. So we're doing this bit by bit. It's going to be a long-term process, though. Um, one thing that, that is in our favor is that the Central African Republic is not that big a country, and we do feel that with the resources that we've been able to muster that we'll be able to make slow but steady progress. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Senator Booker. Mr. Chairman, thank you. <clears throat> thank you very much. And why don't I just pick up, off, uh, pick up um, uh, where the senator left off. Uh, um, so more than two years ago, we know that uh, President Tuadera was uh, inaugurated, and four years ago, as you just mentioned, uh, MINUSCA was first deployed. Humanitarian security conditions, though, have really deteriorated since uh, we've started those efforts. Um, and I, I'm just not confident that I see a, a really cohesive strategy uh, that's uh, focused to improve the situation in, in, in the Central African Republic. Um, and my senior senator, who is not here, uh, but passionate about these issues, actually went to the floor, Senator Menendez, and gave a, a really powerful speech, uh, which you may be aware of, um, that lays out a, a convincing case for a new strategic vision overall uh, for the Central African Republic. And, and so I'm just wondering what changes in, in diplomatic engagement, uh, bilateral aid, military cooperation, or just general policy do you see that needs to be made, um, if any? Thank you, Senator. Well, I think we need to keep on using all the tools at our disposal. We need to keep on using the multilateral peace process and insist that regional actors, strong regional actors such as uh, Chad and Sudan are there at the table and pushing parties to peace. We need to continue to work with MINUSCA and make it a more agile and more effective organization. We need to obviously leverage our bilateral relationship with the government to try to make it stronger and more effective and understand who its real friends are in, in, the, in this long-term path ahead to a Central African Republic, which is more stable and more secure. Thank, Thank you very much. Um, if I can continue with, with you, uh, Ambassador, um, it was interesting for my first trip to Africa, seeing how the influence that China has on the continent uh, uh, and other competitors. And I'm deeply concerned about reports of Russia's uh, increasing influence uh, in the country and what the Russian intentions are. Uh, I know that President Todera has met with Putin and that Russia has received an exemption uh, from the arms embargo to deliver weapons uh, to the government. Uh, and now there are also reports uh, of activities by Russian private military contractors, uh, some apparently seeking uh, to engage in extractive industries. And this obviously rises to concern. So what, what do you, how do you assess the nature of uh, Russia's efforts and how do you think the United States should respond? Thank you, Senator. That's a very important question and, and one that I think we're all working on right now. Um, as you've noted, the Russian presence in part responds to a legitimate need of the Central African Republic Army for equipment and training. Um, but it, as you note, the Russians are also leveraging this assistance to advance their commercial interests and to expand their influence. And they're also setting up parallel peace processes, which is both dangerous and uh, unhelpful. I believe that the best path for the United States is to maintain a strong seat at the table with resources and through presence. And we have to make clear to President Tuadero and to the government that the United States and Western donors are the best bet for the long-term progress and of the country. Um, my message to the Carr government, when if confirmed, is that it needs to do its utmost to ensure that any commercial deals are uh, transacted with full transparency and ensure that no sanctions red lines are crossed in the process. But definitely this is an important issue and I'll be continuing to track it. 
very closely. Well, thank you very much. If I could have one more question yes. with, with you. Um, I understand that the African Union-led uh, peace mediation effort uh, has really suffered uh, in general, suffered from delays, uh, a lack of will amongst uh, armed groups, and an apparent lack of commitment amongst regional powers with influence. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, w what would be required uh, for the AU mediation initiative uh, to be more successful? Uh, do you think there needs to be a higher level of engagement uh, from leaders in the region? Uh, and again, what can we do as the United States uh, to more robustly support that initiative? Um, thank you, Senator. I do agree that regional engagement is key to this. And if confirmed, one of my highest priorities will be make sure that um, that I'm able to work effectively with my colleagues in neighboring countries, as well as with multilateral institutions, so that we're bringing a real concerted pressure to bear on all of the parties to the, to the conflict. It's a, difficult, it's a difficult proposition, however, dealing with armed groups who have, uh, let's face it, um, few incentives to put down their arms and seek other livelihoods. So I think we need to be creative and also in the long run thinking about Ultimately, what kind of development programs are we going to be putting in place here that help the country grow and develop and create an investment climate that will encourage investment in the country and job creation? Thank, thank you very much. Uh, um, Mr. Cloud, I'm, I'm going to uh, go over some territory again that uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Senator Flake, went over, but it's just an issue that's very important for me. Um, as you pointed out, uh, uh, American tourists are the biggest per capita spenders in Botswana. Uh, ecotourism is an important part of diversifying Botswana's economy away from the extractive industries. Uh, nevertheless, uh, I understand legislation in Botswana have recently proposed lifting the ban on, on trophy hunting, specifically um, how it's going to impact uh, uh, elephants. Uh, Botswana has long faced challenges from organized commercial poaching, uh, but the country has made what I think are good efforts, a concerted effort to halt uh, poaching altogether. Uh, which should be recognized, and I'm, I'm one of those that's grateful for that. But it seems to me that the existing policy was uh, uh, sort of uh, foresighted on, the, on moral and economic grounds uh, since the number of wildlife watching tourists is many, and I think a, a much bigger economic boom to the region, to, to, to farmers, and it's many times larger than the number of people who are interested in, in, in trophy hunting, the net-net balance to me to me seems very clear when I look at the numbers uh, that ecotourism and preserving that can be more helpful uh, to the indigenous communities. Uh, and so I just want to know one more time if you maybe can go a little bit deeper about your views on what the United States can do to support the protection of wildlife in Botswana and are you concerned about the effect that lifting the hunting ban may have on wildlife populations and ecotourism? And I really do believe that the hunting in the, often is not even addressing the problem that a lot of the small farmers are concerned with in terms of protecting their crops. Yes, sir. Thanks, Senator, for the question. It, in my consultations with both the Department of the Interior, Fish and Wildlife Service, and USAID and the Oceans and Environmental Sciences sections in the State Department, everybody seemed to, to have a consensus view that, that professional hunting, trophy hunting, if properly managed, can be a benefit to the country, but it's predicated on the um, ability of the country to properly control it and to ensure that the profits from that hunting are redirected back to the conservation and, and biodiversity of the, of the country and to protect the natural resources. Uh, I am not being on the ground there. I, I believe that broadly I've 
served in Zimbabwe and other countries where there were both professional hunting and uh, ecotourism uh, based on photographing and, and just game viewing. And seen it work success successfully both ways. So if the government of Botswana uh, is able to successfully ensure that, that they have the, the controls and protocols in place, ultimately it's, it's their decision. And I understand that President Masisi is currently doing a round of consultations in the country to, to find out what, which way the country would like to, to, to move on this effort. Well, it's an issue of great concern to me, so I hope that we can stay in touch uh, as you get your feet, God willing, if you're con, uh, confirmed that when you get your feet on the ground, you can maybe uh, talk to my team a little bit more about it. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you for your testimony. We have two panels, so we'll need to move uh, to the other one. We appreciate your participation here. Um, the hearing record will remain open until tomorrow night, so you'll likely get some questions from some of the other members of the panel that weren't unable to be here. So if you could respond as quickly as possible, that would be great. With that, we would invite the, the next panel to take their place. And thank you so much, and thank you to the families as well. Welcome to the second panel, and thank you for being here. First nominee is Mr. Uh, Strohmeyer, who's uh, previously acting Deputy Assistant Secretary for East Africa and the Sudans in the Bureau of African Affairs. Additionally, he served as uh, um, Charge d'Affaires uh, uh, in the Deputy Chief of Mission in Madagascar and the Executive Director of the Bureau of African Affairs. Second nominee, Mr. Henshaw, who most recently served as Senior Advisor on Health Initiatives. Uh, additionally, he served multiple positions in the Bureau of Population, Refugees, and Migration, eventually achieving the rank of Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary. I understand uh, you've had family loss here and uh, appreciate uh, you still being able to, to be here. So, so thank you. Um, Mr. Uh, Let's see, third nominee is Mr. Um, Hankins, Dennis Hankins, our second confirmed ambassador this, uh, this afternoon. He currently serves as ambassador to the Republic of Guinea, uh, previously served deputy chief of mission at the U.S. Embassy in Khartoum. Um, and uh, let's see, who's that? Then Mr. Hearn, who is currently principal deputy um, high representative of the Office of uh, High Representatives in Sarajevo, Bosnia, and Herzegovina. Uh, previously served Deputy Chief of Mission in Afghanistan, Senior Advisor to the Undersecretary for State for Political Affairs. We look forward to all of your testimony, so please proceed. Uh, Mr. Strohmeyer. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Booker, I am deeply honored to have the opportunity to appear before you today, and I'm grateful to the President and Secretary Pompeo for the confidence that they have placed in me as their nominee to be the next Ambassador to the Togolese Republic. If confirmed, I will be honored and privileged to lead our embassy team in working to advance the interests of the American people in Togo. I'm immensely proud today to be joined by my wife of almost 21 years, Shishmita Dastidar, and two of our daughters, Antara Helena and Lalita Leonora, all three of whom are behind me, and our, elder, our eldest daughter, Aditi, is away at college. Also unable to join us is my 84-year-old mother, Sarah. She and my father, Jim, introduced me to this career. My father, who was a Foreign Service officer, died tragically young in 1983, but their lessons of decency, integrity, and patriotism have guided me throughout my life. My interest in West Africa began when I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Senegal in the early 1980s. My second assignment with the State Department was in Burkina Faso, and I visited Togo overland several times during my three-year tour. Additionally, I served in Africa as Deputy Chief of Mission and Chargé d'Affaires in Madagascar, held senior positions in the Bureau of African Affairs, 
uh, have held senior positions in the Bureau of African Affairs over the last five years, and was a desk officer for several West African countries. These experiences and other postings during my 29 years with the department have prepared me for this next challenge, if confirmed. Togo has experienced some political instability over the past year. Despite broad consensus on several reforms, there is disagreement on the details, rooted in deep mistrust between Togo's ruling party and the opposition that feels frozen out of power. If confirmed, I would support and emphasize the role of law, rule of law, solid democratic institutions, and the role of civil society to encourage positive change. The government of Togo has improved the country's investment climate, creating a special presidential body to expedite reforms. However, much work lies ahead. Among my major objectives will be increasing transparency, tackling corruption, promoting trade and economic growth. Consolidating the economic reforms will be helped by a Millennium Challenge Corporation threshold program approved this year to further open the telecommunications market and improve land title registry, two critical constraints holding back Togo's own efforts to lift its people out of poverty. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and distinguished members of the committee for this opportunity to appear before you. If confirmed, I will strive to reinforce our interests in a stable, prosperous, and peaceful Togo. I warmly welcome any questions. Thank you. I introduced you out of order, but let's, we'll go ahead and <laughs> straight, straight through. So, Ambassador Hankins. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Booker. I'm honored to appear before you today as President Trump's nominee as the next ambassador to the Republic of Mali. I appreciate the confidence he and Secretary of State Pompeo have shown in me through this nomination. If confirmed, I look forward to working with you and other members of Congress to advance American interests in Mali. I would like to thank you, Mr. Chairman, uh, for your support and this committee's support three years ago when I was nominated to serve in the Republic of Guinea. I'm proud that my son, Navy Lieutenant Danu Hankins, could be with me today and also that my brother Canute and Senator Booker, he manages a Mondelez factory uh, near Paramus. So, not one of your constituents, but he does live in your state and, and do business there. God bless him. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, my wife of 36 years, Mira, could not be with me today. My current assignment in Guinea has offered me the opportunity to help that country transition from the Ebola crisis and make real political, economic, and social progress. Postings in Sudan, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Mauritania, and Haiti have offered me opportunities for strong activist diplomacy. If confirmed, I will draw upon those experiences to deepen U.S.-Mali ties as we continue to work towards our top policy priorities in Mali, which are supporting the full and rapid implementation of the 2015 Algiers Accord, working with the government of Mali, international partners, and Mali's neighbors to respond to terrorist and criminal threats that undermine peace and security, not just in Mali, but throughout the region. And finally, to ensure that our assistance supports those previous two priorities, while also then helping the Malian people in areas of food security, health, education, governance, and economic growth. Mr. Chairman, if confirmed, I will work together with our partners to create greater stability and prosperity for the Malian people. I will vigorously pursue the safety and security of American citizens and advance U.S. interests in Mali. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, Senator Rich, uh, for seeing me today. I look forward and would be honored to respond to any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Hearn. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Booker, Senator Frisch, 
It is an honor for me to appear before you today as the President's nominee to be the United, next United States Ambassador to the Republic of Mozambique. I am profoundly grateful for this opportunity and the confidence that the President and the Secretary have placed in me. If confirmed, I look forward to working closely with you to advance and protect American interests in Mozambique. I was sworn into the Foreign Service in 1985, and my 33-year career has spanned six countries and two wars, affording me the extraordinary honor of serving my country alongside many distinguished and heroic colleagues. I am deeply grateful. I cannot imagine a more rewarding life. Yeah, this would be my first time in Mozambique and Africa, and I am professionally and personally inspired by that prospect. On a personal level, while my son Christopher here today is busy with school in Virginia and won't be joining me at post, he's very excited about the chance to visit me and get to know a wonderful country and continent, particularly its beaches. Uh, my parents in their 80s, uh, who've lovingly supported me throughout my career, are also hoping to make it over for a visit. On a professional level, I believe that I have a blend of experience that, while gained in other places, is particularly relevant for Mozambique at this time. I've been speaking Portuguese for three decades, and that can be a key facilitator for my engagements with both officials and people from all walks of life. If they chuckle a bit at my Brazilian accent, that's okay, it'll be an icebreaker. Um, in addition, I've served in wartime in the Balkans and in Afghanistan, and I understand well the challenges of recovery from and prevention of armed conflict. My familiarity with these issues will be helpful in supporting Mozambique's political leadership, both to implement their recent peace agreement and to consolidate democracy and security. I believe we have a moment of opportunity now to con consolidate encouraging gains in political stability in Mozambique following the 2016 cessation of hostilities and the recent peace agreement, and to get ahead of developing threats in the northern part of the country. We would accomplish this in cooperation with Mozambique's leaders and using a whole-of-government approach that could also leverage resources from the private sector and civil society. I'm eager to move ahead creatively, knowing from experience that building a solid platform of improved governance and effectively fighting corruption will be as critical for success in Mozambique as they are elsewhere. Reconciliation and stability will allow the country to capitalize on its vast natural resources, including one of the world's largest natural gas deposits. U.S. Comp companies are preparing to invest $40 billion to develop liquefied natural gas in northern Mozambique, among the largest investments in sub-Saharan -Sub Africa. Mozambique's expanding economy also depends on the ability to address development challenges and values the development, and Mozambique values the development assistance the United States provides to support peace and security, democratic institutions, human rights, a healthy and educated population, and sustainable, inclusive economic growth. The U.S. is the top bilateral donor to Mozambique, with the majority of our support focused on health programs, notably PETFAR, and it's that, that's our largest assistance program in Mozambique. Thanks to the generosity of the American people, more than one million people living with HIV are now on life-saving treatment. And if confirmed, I will continue to vigorously support those efforts. Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, I want to thank you for the privilege of appearing before you today. If confirmed, I will aim to exemplify the highest standards of our great nation and look forward to partnering with you to advance America's interests in Mozambique. Thank you, and I look forward to your questions.
Thank you, Mr. Henshaw. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, I am deeply honored to appear before you today and grateful to President Trump and Secretary Pompeo for the confidence they have placed in me as their nominee for ambassador to the Republic of Guinea. I want to recognize the attendance of my wife, Jackie Green, and my daughter, Maddie Henshaw Green. Jackie is originally from New Jersey. <laughs> my second foreign assignment was in Abidjan, and my wife and I have fond memories of our time there traveling throughout the country and region. In fact, we were married by the mayor of Abidjan. More recently, I traveled to the continent three times in my last assignment in the Bureau of Population, Refugees, and Migration. Most of my career has been in the developing world, and I have extensive experience working with USAID and other developmental actors, particularly on democracy, human rights, and good governance. Throughout my career, I have worked on election issues. Despite Guinea's proud history of independence, it was only in 2010 that Guineans finally embraced democracy. <coughs> with programs such as our efforts through USAID to assist the National Election Commission in revising electoral code, to our participation as an observer in the National Political Roundtable, we remain committed to helping Guinea complete its democratic transformation. The 2013-2016 Ebola epidemic killed over 2,500 people in Guinea alone and significantly set back the country economically. However, with the assistance of the international community, including the United States, Guinea overcame that horrible illness. Today, the economy is growing faster than anticipated, sustained mostly by strong mining activity, construction, and agriculture. With the assistance of the Overseas Private Investment Corporation in 2016, U.S. investors were able to expand mining operations in Guinea. In addition, the U.S. company Endeavor was able to break ground this year on a 50-megawatt power plant. Concerning peace and security issues, we support efforts to reform Guinea's security institutions and greatly appreciate Guinea's peacekeeping work, including in Mali. If confirmed as the 22nd U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Guinea, my objectives will be to continue to support and encourage the ongoing democratic process, economic development, including more advocacy for U.S. investment in economic diversification, improved public health, and a stronger security partnership. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and members of the committee for the opportunity to address you today. If confirmed, I look forward to working with you in representing the interests of the American people in Guinea. I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you to all of you. Uh, Mr. Hearn, uh, with regard to Mozambique, you mentioned the large investment in natural gas. Uh, what U.S. companies are involved there? No, no. Uh, thank you very much for the question. Uh, both ExxonMobil and Anadarko um, are leading um, international consortium that are moving uh, ahead with probably taking decisions uh, over the next year about concerning a potentially a $40 billion total investment. So those are the, uh, the two main firms. Anadarko is, is already uh, present in the country uh, in a significant way, and um, I look forward to meeting with them, if confirmed, uh, in the near future. Well, thank you. Mr. Hankins, uh, with regard to Mali, uh, we invest in uh, security issues there with G5 countries, uh, some of the other countries. Do you want to talk about that, that uh, um, cooperation that we have in the region and uh, what that involves? 
Yes, sir. Recently, then, the bordering countries uh, through the G5 have then come together to try to help then Mali in handling its security threats. Uh, the northern part of the country for nearly 20 years has been essentially ungoverned, and we have seen that threat spill over and seen terrorist attacks. When I was in Mauritania 10 years ago, uh, uh, terrorists came and killed an American missionary in the capital when I was there. We've seen spill over into Niger, into uh, Cote d'Ivoire, into Burkina Faso. So we see these countries coming together through the G5 to increase border security, to help then on the counterterrorism part. The US government has so far already earmarked $60 million to help those countries in that operation. We continue to have differences with those countries and with the French that are looking for a long-term stable financing arrangement. We certainly welcome and see the need for these countries to deal jointly on what is a regional threat. Uh, and we're more than prepared to help them bilaterally in that effort. But at this point, we do not support them seeing it as a Chapter 7 operation financed through UN financing mechanisms. Right. Thank you. Mr. Henshaw, uh, with Guinea, uh, the uh, Ebola outbreak really occurred within three countries. Uh, Sierra Leone, Liberia, and Guinea. Uh, Guinea was perhaps the most difficult, the remote part to uh, to arrest it. What what are we doing to make sure that uh, we don't have a renewed outbreak? Uh, what are we doing in terms of cooperation, and public health? Uh, thank you for the question, Senator. Um, USAID's program in Guinea is mostly healthcare. I think 23 out of the 25 million dollars a year that we've been spending there is for health, and uh, that program will continue. Uh, CDC is there, as is NIH. They've set up an excellent countrywide system for early detections of diseases, both human and animal, which in the future will hopefully uh, get to stop it, uh, get to stop a disease before it, it reaches the uh, the level that Ebola did before. Thank you, Mr. Hearn. Uh, we talked a little with the last panel, Botswana in particular, and wildlife preservation conservation efforts. Uh, Mozambique uh, has uh, certainly a large land mass. It borders almost on Kruger Park, where there's a number of, uh, well, long-term poaching issues there. Um, also, I was able to visit Gorongosa, where a significant investment from an American, Greg Carr, uh, in cooperation with a number of colleges and universities and, and NGOs, has uh, really done some extraordinary things there. How can we um, the U.S. government help promote efforts that are going on in the non-governmental organization area. Uh, thank you very much, Senator. Um, I, I, I think we are, as with some of the other areas I covered, at a moment of opportunity here. Uh, President Nussi has shown himself to be quite proactive and interested in conservation and countering poaching. He's, uh, he's made some significant uh, changes to legislation to reinforce and fortify uh, penalties and, and the ability to prosecute those cases. Um, with regard to our direct involvement, as you say, uh, in Corangosa, USAID has, has partnered regularly with the Carr Foundation. We've had a, an, an investment there through that cooperation of about $11 million, and that's proceeding. Also in Niasa, we are working closely with uh, the Wildlife Conservancy NGO there, and uh, in Limpopo as well with the World Wildlife Foundation. So I think these partnerships with NGOs, 
uh, public-private partnerships uh, that we participate in directly, including financially, uh, coupled with uh, an encouraging attitude uh, on the part of President Newsom and his administration on this subject, uh, give us a lot of room to expand, um, and I look forward to building on my predecessor's work in that area. Right. Mr. Strohmeyer, with uh, Togo, um, they uh, contribute to UN peacekeeping efforts. That's one of the areas where they have some income. Will that continue, and uh, are we uh, working with them in that regard? What military cooperation or education efforts do we have with them? Or, I'm sorry, cooperation, military uh, training and, and whatnot. Thank you for that question, Senator. Um, it's an opportunity to highlight one of the great areas in which we cooperate with the Togolese. Um, though one of the uh, smaller countries on the continent with a population of barely 7 million, they contribute uh, 1,400 troops to UN peacekeeping operations, which makes them one of the 15 largest, they're the 15th ranked contributor to such operations um, in the world. Uh, and they have had losses in deployments in Mali, um, in which they have uh, they've performed very well in those deployments. In fact, I understand uh, with reference to the panel, uh, um, that in fact they're proposing to, propo to deploy an additional 700 troops to supplement what's going on in CAR. Uh, we have been their partner of choice over the years, um, both through IMET and uh, CODA. Uh, we have provided uh, significant support to their decision, I believe it's in the last five, 10 years, to play a role in peacekeeping, and so much so that at this point they've, as we put it, graduated from ACOTA. They're doing some of their own training now, and uh, we're scaling that back. But our IMET commitment remains, though it's relatively small, um, and I expect to do everything I can to uh, improve and continue that, co that cooperation with the Togolese military. One of the other things in my research so far is that I was struck by is that they have a partnership um, with North Dakota, of all states, um, on the um, our um, uh, sort of the, uh, what is it, the reserve training program where we get our North Dakota uh, National Guard, excuse me, um, out there and working with them. And that's a great partnership that I would hope to be able to continue and foster. North Dakota, Togo, it's all the same. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you, Senator Booker. My pleasure, sir. My much more senior senator, uh, Mr. Wish. Um, and, in what um, regard did you mean? I meant it just in years of service, sir. We are Thank clearly you. the oh, same yes. age. You have, you, and you have a lot more hair than me, sir, so I respect you. Well, thank you. Um, actually, uh, Mr. Hearn, I came up here to specifically talk to you because Idaho has a uh, very distinct connection uh, to Mozambique. You mentioned Garangoso and uh, Mr. Carr. He, of course, is a, a citizen of Idaho, and uh, we're glad to have him. And what he's done there is been nothing but heaven's work. I mean, uh, he went in there after the Civil War and single-handedly took Garangosa from nothing uh, and, and decimation to what it is today where it's coming back. Um, I, I think uh, there's a lot of people familiar with that work. Uh, certainly it's a model of, uh, of ways to do this. He got a little pushback because he did it differently than some of the other conservation groups do it where he, uh, he recognized that uh, the stability of the populace was uh, had to come before the stability of the uh, animal populations because it just it wouldn't work uh, in the reverse. And he's been, uh, he, he's been very dedicated to that. And of course, as a result of that, a lot of us come to know the officials uh, in Mozambique and uh, they certainly say the right things, which we're glad to do, and they're doing the, doing the right things where they can. The questions I have for you have to do with, th the Civil War's been quite some time ago. But nonetheless, they get flare-ups every once in a while. And every time that happens, of course, it, it 
makes you a little, uh, makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up and wonder, you know, is this, is, is this going to take off again because it was so devastating the last time it happened? What, what, what's your prognosis on that? What are your thoughts on that? Are you convinced the government's doing enough and got a good enough handle on this to, uh, to tamp down anything that, uh, that arises? Yes, thank you very much, uh, Senator. It's, uh, it's a, a subject that I've been uh, thinking a great deal about as I've been preparing uh, to, if confirmed, uh, assume responsibilities in Mozambique. This is a center of gravity for me. Uh, the, I think it's essential to the consolidation of democracy, security, and stability in the country that we see a successful way forward. Er, early indications are encouraging, but it's early days. We're seeing in October the, uh, the local and municipal elections, which will be kind of the pilot, really, for the decentralization aspect of the agreement reached between Fulamo and, Fulimo and Renamo. If that is successful, and, and, and certainly there will be lessons to be gleaned from it, uh, it would be encouraging and a hopeful sign for the general election next year in which, again, decentralization of power uh, is, and, and greater democratization is supposed to be part of what has been agreed to. On the military side, we're really at the beginning of a demobilization effort, demobilization for the second time in some ways, where again, it appears that President Nusi is very forward-leaning and wanting active international engagement. Uh, he's invited the United States and a number of other partners to uh, to provide observers and support for this process. Uh, we, we have already um, a State Department officer going out uh, very soon to fill that role, and we'll look at having it staffed on an enduring basis. But given that the size of the forces now are not what they once were, given, the, uh, given that, the age of some of the combatants, indications that President Nusi is going to support integration into the armed forces of some of these combatants, um, then I think that there, there's a real potential here to get it right this time. And the other center of gravity that I think we have to be aware of and on the stability side is the evolving potential threat in the Northwest around the Cabo Delgado region. Uh, it's early days. We're still trying to get a better understanding of what we're seeing there. We've had one interagency evaluation team out there at the end of last year. We have another one on the ground right now. So we hope to get more fidelity on that and see with that information what kind of support and strategy we can work with the Mozambicans on to get ahead of that issue uh, early on. And I'm committed, if confirmed, to vigorously and creatively looking at an approach for that. Mm. I was going to ask about the Northwest because uh, I think my sense is that, that that seems to be the center of uh, the difficulties there. What, um, and, and you say you're working on that. Do you have any sense at all, uh, any granularity on that at this point as to, is, is it an individual? Is it a group of individuals? How, what's, your, what's your sense on that? Well, again, early days, and, and most of the information I've, have, I've had access to is open source. Um, but what we think we're seeing is something that began its evolution around two, 2014, 2015. Um, 
it is a Is that when they were having the incidents with the trains, uh, the, the transportation system up there? I, th I think that was around that time and into 2016. Uh, the, the, the early attacks were primarily against police stations and increasingly though and worrisome when we, we've seen them against uh, civilians, including quite recently, just last week. Um, it appears at this point, and again, we're proceeding cautiously with our evaluation, to be a relatively small and relatively contained phenomenon. Um, it does, at least by their own rhetoric, have an ideological dimension to it, um, a religious ideological dimension, one that uh, is worrisome to and, and resisted by mainstream uh, Islamic uh, leaders in Mozambique. They have, they have a very different tradition, of course, there. And, um, and so I think given that even though it's in a large ungoverned space, uh, given that it is still and, and, and does abut a porous border with Tanzania, uh, that it's still geographically and in terms of size relatively contained and uh, we need to work to get ahead of it quickly. And I think, uh, again, a whole-of-government approach, once we have more fidelity on what we're dealing with, closely in coordination with the Mozambicans and with regional networks on counterterrorism, um, and leveraging uh, the, uh, the interests of the private sector, the companies that are going to be investing in this LNG development, which is directly related to this area. That is the littoral support platform for that activity. Um, I think we can try to be creative in looking at ways to address any genuine uh, local grievances or frustrations, drivers, while also working uh, intelligently on the security and the civil affairs dimensions of this. Thank you, Mr. Hearn. I appreciate that. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Mr. Booker. Thank you very much. Uh, Ambassador, uh, first of all, I'm grateful for our time together and, and your willingness to sit not just with me, but my uh, uh, two colleagues. Um, since the coup in uh, 2012, Mali has not been a major recipient of, of US uh, aid, uh, military aid specifically. Since then, the, Mali uh, the Malayan uh, military has been implicated in a lot of human rights abuses. I think we mentioned this a little bit in our private conversation. Uh, during their counterinsurgency de deployments, in particular uh, in central Mali. Uh, as Mali's defense minister acknowledged in June himself, a recent study by the uh, Simon Skijadat, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong, Center for Prevention uh, of Genocide, warned that overlapping violence amongst jihadists, uh, Malayan security forces, and communal self-defense groups could produce a lot of mass atrocities. and, and there seems to be a lot of concern, especially in northeastern uh, Mali. And, and so uh, could you just say uh, here for, the, for this hearing, you know, what your understanding of the current, uh, our current assistance uh, to the security forces are? Is the United States considering increasing or expanding its assistance uh, to those security forces to include train, advise, and equip assistance? And if so, uh, to what extent is the Leahy human rights vetting a challenge for U.S. assistance uh, to the military? Thank you, Senator. As you note, it is a challenge. At the same time, we are asking the government to reestablish its presence and authority in the northern parts of the country, but a, country, a, a military that has a history of human rights abuses, particularly through the security, uh, the SGI initiative, 
we've been working on trying to build the institutions themselves, uh, sending people to the U.S. to build a core of a national security uh, agency, uh, National Security Council. We've been engaging in trying to make it a more professional uh, entity. There are, of course, major partners. Uh, the French have significant uh, influence, and we are looking at how we can expand our direct engagement with the uh, Malian Armed Forces. But up until there, our, our goal is not just to supplement what others are already doing, whether it's the European Union, which has training for activities, or the French. I know we are looking, for instance, at looking at counter-IED training. Uh, we are looking at JSETs that then offer more opportunity to do exercises. We do have challenges as well because the Malian government works not only through their own armed forces, but they work then through armed groups, many of whom, like Gatia, have problems in terms of child soldiers and the, the, the rest. It is an area where you have terrorist organizations that create atrocities in their own right. As we discussed, it's always government troops must be held to a higher standard. Uh, if the government troops do not respect their own uniform, then no, at no time will the population respect that uniform. So our goals are to build their capacity, to make them more professional, to make sure that they are inclusive of the population. It is a, a, a challenge because there are units, there are individuals that have created human, that have done human rights violations in the past. The Leahy vetting is an important part and a key part to make sure that none of those advance. Uh, but again, we do not have partners that are 100% ideally what we would want, but if the peace process, if stability is going to be successful, those partners must eventually reestablish authority, they must gain the confidence of the Malian people, and they must be present throughout the whole country. Thank you very much, sir, for that substantive answer. Um, uh, Mr. Henshaw, uh, U.S. bilateral aid for Guinea has overwhelmingly focused on global health, $21.5 million in fiscal year 2017. In line with his proposals to cut foreign aid worldwide, uh, the administration proposed $3.2 million in aid for Guinea in fiscal year 2018, which is an 88% decrease uh, from the fiscal year 2017 actual allocation of $26.1 million. Congress largely did not adopt uh, the administration's aid and budget proposals. I've been really grateful about the bipartisan nature of, uh, of the support uh, for aid uh, for my colleagues on the right and the left. Um, what would be the effect of, of such a dramatic cut if it went through uh, in foreign assistance as previously proposed uh, by the administration in Guinea? We are, remain committed to supporting Guinea's attempts and work to improve its health system. I think as time goes on, we need to uh, encourage the Ghanaians to put more and more of their own resources in, and we have seen that happen in the past few years. Guinea has increased its own health budget from less than 3% of the total budget to over 8%. But I do think that we need to continue our own assistance for several more years in order to help them uh, move forward and uh, make sure that we don't return to the situation we saw five, six years ago with Ebola. Thank you very much, sir. That was more questions to see how good of a diplomat you were, because I tried to get you to criticize the administration, and you, so, <laughs> you dealt with that so aptly. I'm going to come back to you, though. You got one more test. Um, um, Mr. Stramamere, uh, uh, in August 2017, opposition groups united to push for democratic reforms and a transition from roughly five decades of presidential rule by members 
of the Nasing Bay family. Uh, the, econ the economic community of West African states uh, has been facilitating an end to this crisis, as I'm sure you know. Uh, ECOWAS urged the adoption of a constitutional reform, a two-round presidential voting system, and term limits, but did not address the key matter of uh, Nasingbe's future electoral eligibility. And I guess to what degree should we engage in this critical issue of term limits? Uh, uh, I just wonder if you have any thoughts about that. Well, the issue of term limits, Senator, is, is obviously one that uh, gets a lot of discussion at different levels. I, I think it, your question is very timely. As it happens, literally in the last several days, the ECOWAS-led mediation has succeeded in getting the opposition and the government to agree to move forward with parliamentary elections that are planned for the end of this year, uh, which is a very positive sign. Uh, there had been threats of boycotting. Um, the issue of term limits remains the challenge, the big challenge, how do they play that out? Um, certainly, uh, the G5 has been mentioned up here. There is a G5 in Togo, uh, which consists of us, the French, the Germans, and uh, the UN and the EU, uh, who have been playing a role in encouraging all parties, the opposition and the government, to work together with the ECOWAS mediation to find a way forward through this thicket, to find a way to get to a compromise. Because clearly, uh, long-term democratic stability for Togo is, is our goal, is the goal of our like-minded friends, and seems to be the goal of various members of the elite in the country. And so continuing to work with that process, encouraging the ECOWAS process, using the leverage that we've gained through our uh, MCC uh, threshold program, which has been very, very well received by the government, where we've made it very clear, your progress toward democratic processes is going to be critical to our willingness to move beyond this point with the MCC, because our aid at the moment is rather limited. The MCC program is twice of what our annual aid is. Um, which is only 17.5 million this year, uh, the, the MCC program is larger. And so those kinds of leverage, seems to me, with the like-minded are the kinds of things we can use to try and find a resolution. Um, Togo is one of those countries where there wasn't a term limit for a process in place. And one of the things that has come up has been a willingness to talk about term limits on all sides, and also to look at uh, second, second uh, what would you write, runoff elections, which obviously is a process that could be a, an incentive to the opposition to join, so that despite their numerous different opposition parties, if they can coalesce in a runoff, um, that might give them the ability to, to succeed in an election, even if four were to stand in 2020. But uh, that's a decision the Togolese will have to make for themselves. But we would continue to participate with the support of the G5 I've mentioned in furthering the ECOWAS mediation, which you know, is, is building off of the kinds of progress we've seen across the West Africa region. I mean, clearly the, the wave of the future there seems toward democratic alternates and progress. And, and uh, we would do everything I would do if confirmed everything I could to further that process as my predecessor has been doing. Thank you, sir. And I said I would get back to you, sir. So just. Uh, Mr. Henshaw, this is a question, and I, I, I warn you that um, I, I look askance if uh, truth-telling is not done during these questioning, and this answer of yours is going to stand in history. It's going to be part of the congressional record. Your family, your ancestors will look back <laughs> on this question. And so I very simply ask you, sir, this direct question to put you on the spot. You married a Jersey girl, yes or no? Did you, <laughs> did you marry up? <laughs> Absolutely. That, Married up. Yes, your, yes. Your, your ancestors will, will note that for the record. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you for that question, Senator. Thank you. The hearing record will stay open for another day. I doubt you'll get any questions like that last one. <laughs> but if you do or don't, please try to answer it promptly so we can make it as part of the record. And, uh, with the thanks of the committee uh, to you and your families. Um, this hearing stands adjourned.